At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Good morning, church family. It is good to be with you all this morning as we open up God's Word together. Uh, my name is Ryan Nast. I am our family ministries director here at Woodside Farmington Hills. Uh, it's a joy to be with you this morning. It's a joy to see our kids up on stage this morning celebrating uh, Flip Camp this last week. It was cool to see them do the song and, uh, and, and the, the, really the song that we did all week and, uh, and have a chance to show you kind of some of what we did this week. It was, it was a great week. And uh, and I'm excited uh, excited that they had the that we have the opportunity to celebrate that a bit this morning. Uh, today we're going to be continuing on in our series, going through the end of the book of Revelation. We've been entitling this series "All Things New," and as we uh, near the end of Revelation altogether, all we see a picture that John gives us in in this this passage of the eternal city. Of God. What we're going to see is that the end of the story of God's word that he has for us, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty great. Uh, for those of us who believe in Jesus, there, this is a very happy ending. Now, I don't know about you. I think we love happy endings in our world, but I especially do. I love a good story and especially love seeing it play out on the big screen at the movies. That's, uh, that's just, it's just an enjoyable experience as you come and see, especially a highly anticipated movie uh, where you're, you're, you're going and you're seeing, a, you're, you're going with a bunch of people to see this experience, right? You're you've been anticipating it. Maybe you heard this is the day it's coming out and you're going to go that day. And as the movie's starting, you're like, man, this is what we've been waiting for, right? And then throughout the movie, maybe you hear cheers, especially if you've gone to see a Marvel movie on opening weekend, you know that that's true, that that will happen. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it becomes just really, really exciting as that keeps going on. And as you get to the, the, the middle of the movie, you're like, man, I want to see how is this going to end. We all hope that it ends well, but it doesn't, we also know that it always doesn't always. Uh, the, the, the end of the movie really makes or breaks the movie in many ways. You're not going to get up in the middle of the movie if it's a good movie because you want to see how it's going to end. But I know I've walked out of a movie before and been like, man, did I really spend my money on this ending? This is what we have today? Like, what? Come on. I, I wait. It feels like I wasted my money. Last month, when the live-action Little Mermaid came out, I had the opportunity to go see it. it was, I, I figured it was going to be nostalgic, that it was going to be a good movie. It was both of those things. It was both of those things. But it was not the most pleasant theater-going experience. I show up, we're at this, at, with this crowd of people at the movie theater, and as we're, the movie is starting, people are still talking. It's like, you're not supposed to do that, we're at the movies. And all of a sudden, people start taking out their cell phones and turning on their flashlights that are on their phone, and it's like, man, well, at least I know the story, I can kind of get, I can, I can go along with it, this is okay. Uh, and as we're gearing uh, up for the, 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 the ending at the very end of the movie, I don't know, maybe five to ten minutes left to go. It didn't seem like it was much 
uh, much left, but the movie theater at that point lost power. Yeah, it, I didn't get to see the ending. It was, it was, it was disappointing. I, what I had come to see, I didn't get the opportunity to. And the beautiful thing for the people of God is that the ending is not an unhappy ending. We get to see and participate in what God is going to do, and that's what we're going to see from this passage this morning. Yet while we know what the ending holds, we also know we're not there yet. We live in this world, and it's, it's no, no, no uh, it's, 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 everybody knows that this is a, a difficult place to live sometimes, that we are not at the ending, the ending that God promises for us just yet. And our world continually reminds us that that is the case. How do we, you know, it's easy to remember the end when life is good, but what about when life isn't going so good? Those moments when you're laid up in a hospital bed and wondering, is the doctor actually going to give me good news and, and, and have a timeline for me and when I'm going to come home? Or that moment when, the bo- when your boss comes in and tells you you don't have a job any longer and you're wondering, how am I going to pay for my family to, or to take care of them? Or in that moment when your friend who you, you know very well knows you well and kind of ter- stabs you in the back and, and uh, does something that you're not anticipating. Or when people try to tell you that what we see in God's word isn't true, how do we, how do we live with the end in sight, right, in that moment? What we're going to see today that we need to long for and live to enter the city of God. We need to long for and live to enter the city of God. The the passage that we're looking at today in Revelation 21, 9 through 22, 5 answers the question of what makes the city of God glorious? What makes the city of God glorious? And today we're going to see three beautiful aspects of the city that give us hope, that provide us with hope for what is to come, but also hope for right now as we're going through this world. And one of the first aspects we see as we come to this passage today is the layout of the city. The layout of the city. John gives us a glorious picture of what we can expect the eternal city of God to look like. And he does this in Revelation 21, 9 through 21. Now, we're not going to look at all of these. I'm not going to read all of these passages, these verses for us this morning. But I am going to read the first few verses in verses 9 through 11. John writes this. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. In these verses, John is transported to a mountain where he sees the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God, coming down from God. These, the way that these verses are formatted, though, draws our attention back to Revelation chapter 17, where it begins very similarly. The same angel takes John to go and see another city, Babylon, and the judgment that is proclaimed upon it. Now, Babylon is meant to represent the kingdom of this world. It's meant to represent people who continually reject God's way of thinking and to walk in their own way of thinking. And Babylon is anything but a bride. 
Babylon continually indulges in immorality. We see things like drunkenness and sexual immorality uh, used to, to give examples of the immorality that is taking place in the city of Babylon at that point. In chapter 21, though, we get a new city. We see a new city described here. The new and holy Jerusalem. John has been taken to this place where he is able to view and see the layout of the city, and it is glorious. It is magnificent. He sees this new Jerusalem coming down from God. And as, as bride, she is, present, she is presented, uh, or as, 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 sorry, excuse me, as, well, yeah, as bride, she is presented pure and without blemish, and as wife, she experiences the close and intimate relationship with the Lamb, with Jesus himself. The beautiful thing is, throughout the New Testament, we see that the church is described as the bride of Christ. So this is us, right? We are, being, we are coming down from God. It's a beautiful thing. We get to be with him. We get to be with the Lamb. We get to be with Jesus. And as the new Jerusalem is coming down, we see in verse 11 that she is described as having the glory of God. The glory of God. What a magnificent picture, right? Says John, John says it's radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. What a beautiful, beautiful sight. Throughout the Bible, uh, the glory of God is, is always uh, meant to show, that his pr- show his presence as well. It's meant to indicate that his presence is with his people. In the Old Testament, the, the people of, of the Old Testament, they had the temple where they could come and worship God, know that he was dwelling with them. In John 1, we see that, which is in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the word who has become flesh, who dwelt among us, who revealed to us the glory that is of the Father. And now, in Revelation 21, the church has this very glory that is from God because she dwells with him. She dwells with the Lamb. What a beautiful, beautiful reality that we have if we know Jesus as our Savior. The layout of the city is important, it is beautiful, but it is beautiful because God is there, because his glory is with his people. What an amazing, amazing thing. In verse, both in verses 12 and in 14, we see this great high wall with 12 gates talked about. You see this great high wall with 12 gates. And if that gives you an idea of like safety and security, that's a good thing, because that's what John is trying to draw our attention towards. This is not a place where people will be in danger any longer. We don't have to worry about the things of this world that we typically might worry about. We are safe as we dwell with God in his presence. And as the wall is described, it talks about how uh, the, the, the 12 names of the sons of Israel were inscribed on that wall. We see how the, the, the 12 uh, names of the apostles of the Lamb are there too. This is meant to talk about anybody who, who, who has faith in Jesus throughout all of the history coming together. They're going to be a part of this city. That's who gets to dwell with God, he gets to be with him, gets to be in his glory, glorious presence for eternity. What an amazing, amazing reality. And as we keep 
um, keep going on down this passage, we begin to start seeing things like measurements that are given. And it might cause us to wonder, like, what is this all about? Do we have to try to, like, actually construct what this is going to look like? And the answer to that, thankfully, is no. Uh, because these are, these are measurements that are given to be symbolic of some of things. And we're going to talk about that um, right now. In verse 16, John writes that the city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. So we see this cubed city, essentially. And it's 12,000 stadia in height. This is meant to represent that this is a perfect place. A perfect place where God intends to dwell, to be with his people. What an amazing reality for us as believers. And in verse 17, we get another measurement. It says, He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. See, 144 cubits given. And back in Revelation 7, we actually see a a crowd numbering 144,000. Now, this is meant to represent the entirety, the totality of God's people with him in heaven. The same is true here. This 144 people, or cubits, along with the names inscribed on these, these walls, are meant to represent the totality, the completeness of people who are going to come to know Jesus as Savior, that are going to dwell with him forever. In other words, this is a perfect city. It is a perfect and complete city. It's the perfect utopia. What an amazing, amazing reality we have as, as Christians, those who believe in what Jesus has done for us. Now, in our world today, when we think of cities, this is probably not the first thing that's going to come to mind. We're not thinking of a perfect place, a place where everything is just in perfect harmony or anything like that. No, we're probably going to think more along the lines of things that exist there like crime and violence, destruction. Maybe we're like, oh, it's, they're kind of dirty cities. Maybe we go down to the city of Detroit or Chicago or Los Angeles or New York or any of the big cities of our country and we're like, man. These aren't as nice as what we were anticipating. Yeah, maybe there's some nice aspects here and there. We go and see the skyscraper everybody's talking about or the monuments or the locations that everybody flocks to and takes those pictures that they can put up on Instagram. Uh, Maybe that's what what we, we think about. But then all of a sudden, as we visit those places, we turn around, we look around, and we see this is this is not as it's not what I was thinking. It's kind of dirty. There's there's you know it doesn't look like a nice area. But that's not what we see described of this city, this new and holy Jerusalem. It is a perfect city. There is no violence. There is no crime. There is no destruction. It's a perfect place. It's a place of peace and intimacy with God. What an amazing, amazing thing. I know we don't think about that when we think of the cities of our world. And when we, we might cause us to even, as we look around us, to the world around us, wondering how, how is this actually going to be this way? Is there, are we actually going to, do we actually have hope that all things will be made new? And yes, we do. We absolutely do. We might look around us and see the dis- devastation of sin that exists in this world, of us constantly, of people who constantly say that 
Our way of doing things is better than the way that God ordered this world. We constantly see people that do what is right in their own eyes versus doing what God says. And I know that the voices of this world are loud. People may try to tempt you to believe that what we see here in God's word is false, that it is not true, that this is not the hope, the future reality that we have But in that moment, we can take heart knowing that this is what God promises and that he is going to make good on his promise. Remember, I know the voices of the world are loud, but remember that Babylon falls. It's going to be destroyed. The kingdom of this world is not going to last forever. The things of this world may provide momentary pleasure in and of themselves, but it's nothing compared with the glory that is to come. The glory that we are promised, where we will be in God's presence forever, worshiping him. And this city that is described here in Revelation 21 reminds us of that. It promises, it's a promise to us that we know that all things will be made new. And the layout of the city is just one of the things that reminds us of that. But we also see another glorious aspect right after this. The light of the city. The light of the city. John tells us about this in verses 22 through 27, which says this. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Earlier I talked about how God's glory resided, dwelled in the temple in the Old Testament. Well, here in verse 22, we see that there is no temple that John sees. It's not that there's not a temple at all, because the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There's no need for a physical temple like they had in the Old Testament, because God himself is the temple. People come to and worship him in his presence And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if God's present, so is his glory. His glory is there as well. As we see, there's no need for sun or moon. And that's because God's glory gives light to the city. There's no need for anything else to. God's glory is all that is is needed to give light to this city. And it's by his glory, his light, that the nations enter the city. This is awesome. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus is equated with light quite a bit. Even John himself in John chapter 8 describes Jesus as the light of the world. And what we mean by that is Jesus helps us, he reveals our, our sin to us, helps us to see who he is, and to turn from that and see that he is better than, than, than anything that is of this world, anything that we might try to follow on our own apart from him. And so this city is for all who recognize that, who see Jesus as the light, who takes care of their sin, 
who takes care of constantly trying to do what we want to do on our own versus and rejecting God's way of thinking. He, may, he brings that to light. The city is for all who realize that Jesus is the light who has revealed the Father's glory to us, that we might know and experience God's glory forever, eternally with him. God's kingdom discriminates against no one. We see that this is for the nations, right? That all nations are coming in to, to, to worship God. And that, I think that's an important point. Something that we, that, that, that is, that's, that's, that's great and a beautiful reality that all people are welcome. That this hope, this glory is for everyone. This good news of who Jesus is, it's for all people. All who would put their faith in Jesus are welcome to come in and enter into this city. Verses 24 and 26 talk about how these nations are bringing things like glory and honor into this city. And that might cause us to question, like, isn't God's glory enough? Like, uh, are they adding to it? Are they taking away from it? Like, what's going on here? And it's none of those things. It's a really beautiful thing that's happening here. These people are coming and they're bringing glory. They're worshiping. They are praising God, giving the, the Father and the Lamb everything that they are due because they are glorious. God is glorious. Father, Son, and Spirit, glorious God. We will dwell with God forever and that these, the, the nations will come and give God what he deserves. And we catch glimpses of God's glory and, and, and some of these things some of these eternal realities in this world currently. We catch glimpses of what's to come. Perhaps here on Sunday morning, we get the chance to come and worship and praise God and hear the word and engage in community with one another. And we're like, man, I see, I see God's glory in that. That's a good thing. Maybe it's through seeing people commit to following Jesus in an even greater way. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time or beyond. I know at Flip Camp this week, it was really cool to see kids come and, and, and give, give money. Say that, hey, we want to help people who are all around the world come to know who Jesus is. At Flip Camp this week, we raised over $550 just to do that. There were kids that gave everything that they had because they wanted to see the world reached for Jesus. That's amazing. In a couple of weeks, our students are going to have a similar opportunity to go around our community here in Metro Detroit and, and tell our community about who Jesus is, to show them that there is hope found in Jesus. And year after year, this, this week called Hope Week is, is a week where we catch glimpses of that, of exactly that. I know our, our family last year from this campus, the group that went out, had the opportunity to share the gospel with people in Hamtramck. These, this, these were middle schoolers that were doing this, and it was awesome to see. We catch glimpses here in this world of God's glory and what is eternally to come for us. But in this moment, or when, when that day comes, his glory will be, we, will, we will know his glory fully, and we'll know it forever. That's awesome. That's an awesome thing. It's something we should praise God for, and his glory is not going to stop. And that makes sense with what we see in verse 25. There will be no night there. There will be no night there. If his glory doesn't stop, his presence is there, right? He's going to continually give light to the city. And what we see in verse 27 
is nothing unclean will ever enter the city. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now that might cause us to to question things a little bit, like, okay, haven't we just been talking today about how we are sinful, how we constantly do what we believe is right and reject God's way? Don't we talk about how that's what the reality for people, all people are, is that we walk contrary to the will of God. So how is it that we can be brought into this city? How is it that we can come into God's presence since we are unclean, we are sinful people? It's only by the Lamb. It's only by the Lamb and what he has done. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth some 2,000 years ago and lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross to die for our sin, for the sins of you and me and anyone who would believe in him. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later. This Lamb of God, perfect, spotless, paid the price for our sin, the price that we all deserve to pay. And if we believe that he has done this for us, that we are sinners and that we need his work on the cross and in the resurrection to save us from our sins, we can know that we are washed, we are cleansed, we are made whole and brought back into a relationship with God because of what our our lamb has done. Don't leave today without knowing who Jesus is. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of our staff members or anybody here who knows who Jesus is. We would love to have that conversation with you about about how you can start following Jesus. Because if not, your experience is a lot like mine going to see The Little Mermaid last month. You're going to miss the ending. And it's a glorious ending. It's a happy ending. It's the best ending that there is. You don't want to miss it experience the joy of knowing him, of walking in his light. He is the light of the world and the light of the city. But yet we see one more glorious aspect of this city here in our passage this morning, and that is the life of the city. The life of the city. And as we, what we will see is that just as John Uh, describe the layout of the city and the light of the city. And as we see Jesus and and, and really the uh, the Godhead as the center of of the attention there, the same is true with the life of the city. Let's read Revelation 22, 1 through 5. It says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. As we begin this final chapter of God's word, which we will, bring, we will conclude next week, John directs our attention to somewhere else in the city, somewhere special and unique, the very 
throne of God and of the Lamb. But the angel takes John first to see this river of the water of life. That's what we see there in 22 verse 1. But this, this is coming from the very throne of God. The very throne of the Lamb. And this this from, and, and from the throne, and as this, this river comes from the throne, it leads into the city where we get a picture of the tree of life. Now, if you start thinking like tree of life, I think back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, and if that's where you're thinking, that's a good, that's a good thing to be thinking about because that is what John is trying to draw our attention back to, to the way God ordered the world originally. In Eden... There was, a, there, was a, uh, there was a river flowing to that tree as well, coming from Eden. But here, the, this, this, this river is flowing from the very throne of God. He is the one giving life to everything in this city. Back in the beginning, God ordered this world the way it was supposed to be. He put two trees in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. Adam and Eve ate from one of the trees. They didn't, thankfully, eat from the tree of life, but they did eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as that happened, sin entered into this world. Our world, brought, it brought destruction to the world. And it brought destruction to our relationship with God. What was once a perfect relationship has now been broken at that point because of sin. But Jesus, our spotless lamb, made it possible for anyone who believes in him, who are also those whose names are written in the book of life, to have a relationship, to be restored to God and have a relationship with him. Now that we see that this tree is in view yet again in Revelation 22, that should draw us back to how things once were, how they were perfect, how they were great in the garden. And that's exactly what, how it will be then. Things will be perfect. Things will be restored. All things will be made new Things will be right and in order again. Things will be the way they were supposed to be and intended to be from the beginning of time. It will be perfect. And as we see in chapter 22, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. No longer do we have to worry about things being the way they are right now. Nothing will be accursed. That's amazing. Once things are made new, they aren't coming back. It's going to be that way forever and ever. We will be before God's throne, worshiping him, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. Verse 4 says they will see his face something that Moses wasn't even able to do. He was brought before God. He got to see some of God's glory, but if he had seen all of it, he would have died. We will see God face to face. We will see his glory, and we won't die. That's the hope that we have. We will reign with him forever. Forever and ever. Our flip camp verse for this week, which I'm glad we kind of got to talk about at the very beginning of our service this morning, says this. It's from Hebrews 12 too. Let us keep looking to Jesus. He is the one who started this journey of faith, and he is the one who completes the journey of faith. In Revelation 22, we see that God makes good on that promise. 
He completes our journey of faith. Everything is perfect and new. I know this world is hard. And it's probably really easy to remember that when you are laid up in the hospital, when people turn their backs on you, when the world is trying to get you to doubt God, when things just aren't as it should be, it is easy to remember or to, to remember that that's what, how things feel in the moment. But we are not without hope. We have something that we can look forward to that is far greater than what this world has to offer. And so church, do you live with this hope? Do you long for what is to come? Do you desire to be with Jesus? Because we do have hope. We should long for what is to come. We should desire to be with Jesus. These are all good things. I hope that we can all answer yes to those things. So don't let the world get you down in those moments. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Don't let it get you to believe that we are without hope. No, we have hope, eternal hope. Jesus, it's found in him. So when the trials of this life start to, to come in, persevere. Remember that what we have, we have great hope, hope that is unlike any hope. It's found in Jesus. And he has overcome this world. He has given us the happiest ending that there is, the greatest ending of all time. We get to experience it if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and I hope you do today. So for all who, all, all who call upon his name, the name of Jesus, remember, there is hope. Let's not forget that. Let's live with that hope in mind. Let's long for and live to enter the city of God. Let's long for and live to enter the city of God. I know it might feel like we are just waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing appears to be getting any better. But church, we are not going to experience that unhappy ending. We are going to be forever associated with him in his presence, experiencing the glory of God before his throne. We will experience the beautiful layout of this city. We will experience the light of this city. We will experience the life of this city. And we can remember that as the world gets difficult, that we have a city to look forward to, one whose designer and maker is God himself. He's going to do what he says he was, he's going to do. He's going to make all things new. He's begun a work in us. For those of us who believe in Jesus and know him as Savior, we know that that's true, that he has begun this work in us. And he's going to complete it. He is going to complete it on the day when he returns and comes back to make everything new. And we get a chance to celebrate the work that God has done in us, who has begun in us each month through communion. We're going to have a chance here in just a little bit. We have that opportunity today. And oftentimes when we think of communion, we think about looking back on what Jesus has already done for us. And let's absolutely do that today. I think that's very, very good practice. But also let's look forward. Let's look forward to what is to come. Let's long for and live to enter the city of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus, but thank you that we also know that he's coming back and that he's going to make all things new. Would you help us to see that, Lord, as life gets difficult? 
those moments where it just doesn't feel like things are going our way, where we don't know when they will start going our way, would we remember that we have glorious hope, that one day we get to experience the greatest ending of all time, where we get to be in your presence forever, dwelling with you, not having to worry about the hardships, the difficulties of this world. Would you help us to long for and live to enter the city of God, Lord? It's hard at times, but Lord, would you give us strength? Would you give us glimpses of the glory that is to come in those moments that are hard? Would you help us to look to Jesus? It's in Christ's precious and holy name that I pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.